If you're struggling with identity, finding yourself, and finding purpose, we're joined by Kevin Kapeki, who is a youth advocate and capacity builder. This is our conversation with him and his story. Okay. Um, watching myself on TV, we'd filmed this really cool piece and we'd been in the school that was being, um, I don't know if it's called trial, but reporting back on the Gonski Review, which was the, the research that looked into funding for schools. And... Um, yeah, we recorded for the 730 report, like Lee Sales, Louise Milligan, they were all there saying my name. And then come the segment, I froze. I was like, that's my voice, that's horrible. And my dad watched it, but I had to hide in the bathroom. And it took me probably months until I could see the whole clip in total. Really? I kept starting, pausing, squirming, and then going, try again, play, press play, then I'd stop, come back in a couple yeah. of weeks time, watch it up until like a minute. It was like a nine minute segment in total, uh -huh. but watching the entire nine minutes took me about a yeah. few months to get to that point. Wow. That sense of self is still something I'm dealing with. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's something I'm still dealing with too. Like sometimes when I realize I made a mistake during a podcast, mm -hmm. and, oh man, that time's coming up and I get these goosebumps in my mm -hmm. belly. Like, oh no, mm -hmm. it's going to be so cringe. And then you hear it and it's just like, oh, it wasn't that bad. It yeah, wasn't, that, yeah, it wasn't yeah. that bad. But early on when we first started podcasting, there would be some words we'd say so many times <laughs> and we were saying to I ourselves, didn't realize that. oh, mm -hmm. that sounds so mm -hmm. annoying. And then you just catch yourself all the time. And I think when we initially, when we initially, realized that the next few podcasts we were so intentional about what we were saying so mm. conscious about it and i think those podcast episodes were really well like converse mm, you know mm. so it was, it was yeah i even have that at work as well like i i always think that i'm gonna make a mistake but then things turn out better i'm like if i only just put in more effort that it would have been perfect but yeah it took i had to force myself to believe in my own capabilities to do the job that mm. I, I should be knowing i should know how to do but anyway <laughs> you speak a lot in your line of work you're always up in front of the audience and over the weekend i saw you host the zimbabwean t20 cricket team yeah yeah um they came they were obviously in the t20 world cup mm -hmm. and we had never really watched cricket i haven't i used to play cricket in primary school when i was in zimbabwe um i was um what even was i i'm guessing a fielder i forget the yeah, yeah. proper terms now but i was uh I, I played cricket very very well then i in zimbabwe cricket soccer netball i like the holy trinity we've done well in swimming as well historically and i don't mm. know how but um those are like the sports everyone does and rugby rugby too but i was like okay well cricket requires you to run sorry soccer <laughs> requires you to run um netball it's for taller people swimming is for a certain kind of um skin tone <laughs> um but cricket i can probably do cricket that's not too bad and i did cricket for a few years so then yeah this cricket team came to australia as part of the world cup and um good experience we called you know you use your contacts called cameron mcleod from the huddle and he provided us north melbourne's home for the night mm. and it was very cool like it just looked great and very good experience for them to um to feel like they you know they're welcomed and part of the community and yeah that was probably the highlight of my two years as a board director for the zimbabwean community wow so how did you get into that position to become a part of that board um should we press play we are Oh, you are? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, we're getting started cheeky, now. Cheeky, cheeky. Um, how did I get started? Um, gosh, that's a long story and it's not very exciting. <laughs> um, there came a time in 2020 when I was, you know, having a crisis. Mm. And I used to crisis a lot, but I really do mean I was having a crisis in terms of my own identity and place and community. And... Um, 
I was working at the airport, then I was working in retail. Um, and I remember having a conversation with one of my bosses who we had many at the airport in duty free. Um, mm. and they were telling me about what vision they saw for myself. Mm. And that was the first time that I had someone tell me what they thought that I could be. And not that I expected them to say to me, you'll be in parliament or you'll be in the United Nations. They said to me, I see you. Um, being one of the directors for one of the big fashion brands mm. in the world. And that could have made me happy because I was working in a fashion brand. Wow. I was like, oh, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if that's what I see for myself. Yeah. And I've, I've come very close to applying. And I worked for Bally of Switzerland, the, the shoe store. And um, I'd come very close to applying for jobs in Switzerland mm. to work at Bally. But I, something just kept holding me back. This is not what I need to be. Yeah. This is not where I, where I see myself going. And... Wow. To hear this person tell me that they saw me being a director at a fashion house didn't sit right with me. Yeah. Um, so then I had my existential crisis and then I, um, I was struggling, you know, then, and I had a very good team. I was the manager of that store. I had a good team and we were all helping each other, but it was very clear that everyone there had different ambitions. Yeah. And I was the only one that wasn't clear on what my ambitions were. Mm -hmm. Some wanted to go to head office. I helped them. I was the, you know, the manager, so I'd sign resumes and, you know, um, what do you call them? Letter of recommendations, etc. Yeah. Some wanted jobs in bigger fashion brands and I supported that as well. I never, I was never the manager who like said, oh, I'll be out of staff or, you know, I'm like, I was, everyone who needed to go went and I said, yeah. use me whilst I'm here mm. um, and I'll do my best to ensure that, um, you know, wherever you need to go, I'll get you there. If it's yeah. Paul Smith, Gucci, Versace, <laughs> I'll, I'll write, I'll tell them how mm. good you are. Um, but no one was there to do that for me because they didn't even right. see what my vision was. Um, I didn't even have a vision then. Anyway, I was studying full-time whilst also working at the airport full-time for, for Bali. And one of my last electives was to go to India. It wasn't to go to India, but I had an elective. And there was a chance to go to India, to do that elective mm. in India mm. as part of the um, Department of... Um, oh, boy. Department of... I'm forgetting the name. I will come back to the name, but um, they had a scholarship um, that they provide. Oh, the new Colombo plan. Yes, the new mm. Colombo Department of Trade. Foreign Affairs and Trade. Right. DFAT, yeah, the new Colombo plan. And the new Colombo plan had always been sold to me as a year-long experience, but mm. I didn't have a year to give up. I was right. working full-time. Mm. I had a family. But then they had the short-term new Colombo, which was, which can be up to a month. So which can be as little as a month, or it can be up to six months. It's like, oh, okay, I like that. I mm. can do a month. You yeah. know, I think I'm qualified enough to get this position. I can do a month overseas. Yeah. We got to go to India. Um, and... Whilst I was there, that's when my crisis hit the 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 peak, the peak point, and we were walking. And it's so typical to be walking in the Dharavi slums of Mumbai and have a crisis, thinking, "Gosh, what am I doing with my life? I'm mm. out here selling shoes and bags and things that are cool, but people here." Um, not that they need help, mm. but one thing that I learned was in the Dharavi slums was how from the outside we see this two million mm. people living within a kilometer radius um, of each other or something along mm. those lines. Mm -hmm. But whilst walking within there, there was ecosystems, people that were working um, and support haircut, barber shops, mm. haircuts, electricians, people that were melting plastic to make other things, yeah. jewelry, people were turning stone into diamonds, whatever. There, everything was happening in there. And mm. I didn't 
didn't feel a sense of I should help them, but I felt a sense of I should understand what they're doing, mm. and perhaps this is replicable in different other communities. Right. In the Daravi mm. slums, you just think people just heap up in there and live in squalor conditions. Sure, that's part of it, but there was a big element of survival and schools. There was probably even a university or a TAFE institution shopping. It felt like I was in, um, I don't know if you've watched Gulliver's Travels or the read the book, yes. the Lilliput, I was like in that little kingdom. Uh-huh. It just felt so small from the outside, but inside right. it was like its own world. Yeah. And again, I didn't feel the sense to want to help, but I felt the sense to want to understand what they were doing. Mm. So when we were walking out of there, I then saw the... Um, a sewage, like a, the water system. It wasn't clean. There was like everything in there. It was a different color than what water should be. Um, and it reminded me of the times when I was in Africa that I had malaria. And I've had malaria many times, four mm. times that I recall. Um, and I just, yeah, I just started thinking, gosh, this is something about what I'm doing here. I even remember that vision of the water and the road and the, the cars that were coming this way and the slums behind me this side. Just thinking, I think this is where I need to be yeah. in this moment. I'm okay being here and I'm okay learning. I went back to Australia after, you know, the holiday and traveling around India and a few different places as well and finishing up the course. I went back to Australia and firstly, I was in trouble because I'd extended my leave. So I had to contend with that. But secondly, I was okay resigning then. Yeah. This was the December before the pandemic joined us in January. I was prepared to go work in parliament. That was my first step of I'll go work as an electoral officer or an advisor. I'll make that my first point of call. I had applied for a few jobs. I had a few interviews lined up. Um, and I left the airport very, very happy. Mm-hmm. I left it thinking I know what I need to do. I don't know how I'll do it, but I do know that I need to learn something else yeah. that's not in this place. Very grateful. Like I'm right. still friends with all my colleagues, all my staff. We still hang out and all my managers in Switzerland, in Italy and in Australia, we still have a relationship. And that means a lot to me. Mm. The pandemic came um, and... My interviews kind of fueled away. The department wasn't recruiting any more people. They were trying to maintain the ones they had. So here I was now unemployed. Oh, um, and I had there was an overwhelming sense of I need to start again. I yeah. need to like figure out. It took a while because again, I, they told me, oh, you know, it'll be over in two months time. It's just a flu. It'll be over mm, in a couple of months yeah. time. We'll interview in April. I'd resigned in January and I was waiting up until April. Then April came in a never ending lockdown. Things mm. just weren't going well. And and those days I wasn't leaving bed. I was staying um, in bed for 10, 12 hours during oh the day, then waking up. Like I, I was really having yeah. an internal crisis, oh. just thinking, what have I done? I should have just waited and then resigned after I had JobKeeper. Yeah. But I think even mm. not having JobKeeper really got me because like I, I then thought, okay, you're 22 years old, get it together. You need to like get out of the house, find something. Mm. And then I went to Woolworths. And I felt as though, again, I'm 22. I should have done this when I was 14, but I need some kind of income. I need to do it fast. And that experience not only humbled me, but it was probably my best experience ever back Mm. again, not to say back in the streets or back in the community, but 
I was at Woolworths, I was doing the five-hour shifts, trying to get it together, save $100 a week, whatever. And, but that experience really, really, really changed my life. I was doing things I should have done a long time ago, working with younger people, and I found myself in a leadership position very quickly. People mm. were listening and wanting to hear what I was saying. Yeah. And I'd never been in a position where people were listening to me in that mm. way before. It was always me telling them what to do. We have a visual merchandising to do. We yeah. have a um, report to do. But here I was with younger people, 14, 15, they kids who work at Woolworths telling me wow you're so cool you're so great I, I know I, I love learning about this you told me about that and yeah. you're the nicest older person that I know here you're like a big brother to me and that changed everything you know mm. and the journey of being where I am today had officially started thanks to Woolworths Ooh. if I'd had JobKeeper I probably wouldn't have yeah. um, gone to I would have just stayed on JobKeeper and waited for things to come back again but having no money and having and feeling stuck then changed what I needed to do. So, yeah, the journey from there just kind of went uphill. That's when, you know, the CMY, Zim community, I, I saw something in the um, on our email list. And I was like, okay, I'll apply for Zim community. Mm. They could use more young people telling them what to do. Um, <laughs> and, you know, this is pandemic time. It's uncertain times. Yeah. I'm the person for that. I applied for that job. The CMY opportunity came. I was like, okay, that's cool. I'll do that to people. I can speak to community. I How can did do you it. find out about the CMY role that we're engaged on together? Um, well, I'm actually much newer to see to the CMY world than mm. the Carnos and the people who, people who I've, I've looked up to for a long time. Yeah. But one thing that I made a conscious effort of when I was 22, when I'd gone back to Woolworths and doing the Zim community and, um, and a couple of other things as well that I guess we'll get to soon mm. was to make a LinkedIn account and mm. begin following people and once you follow one person who does a certain thing the suggestions begin leaning more towards that side mm. and i was i'm someone who's very conscious of wanting to learn and wanting to hear from other people and experience what they're you know what they are doing and um and build capacity my own capacity that way but also um yeah, um, but also build others' capacity through what I'm learning. Who I am today is an accumulation of different lessons and different mm, people who've absolutely. said different things to me. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I knew in 2020, one of the people that I knew was a young guy, that I think then he was like 19, called Mohammed Semra. Mm -hmm. And I've never taught him this. I, we, we don't talk often enough for me to tell him this, but um, he was running for council uh -huh. then in Maribyrnong. I think he yeah. was a 19-year-old, young African guy, um, trying to change the system i too was running for council in oh, here yeah yeah Incredible. i was putting my name down for anything <laughs> um, so i made this linkedin account to share my videos and share my message and um, i followed mohammed i then followed other people that i've uh, i've come to idolize now or look up to or learn from um and i'm happy to share names again kano was someone who i followed up i followed earlier on michael lim mehek sheikh who work together now at vic health and um yeah, my messaging just um, changed because I was learning what they were doing and how mm. they were doing it. So CMY came through that experience of someone sharing on LinkedIn. I'm like, okay, this sounds kind of cool. I can do a youth lead, whatever that means. And <laughs> I, I, I was new again to youth participation, but I was like, oh, we'll learn together. We'll experience that together. So I interviewed with Bo. I think I even met Carmel at some point. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's just how it started. And the journey was really on a on a cliff then. I was just going up somehow. Wow. I guess we've had similar stories and being connected with CMY as well because I'm I'm really fresh and new much to new, the organization, yeah. like much newer. So you've already done community work in the Zimbabwean uh, 
community mm-hmm. and and other associations like that but for me cmy was kind of my first the first one first one mm-hmm. right and i remember you inviting us to an acme event part of cultureverse yes, at yes. the very start and i guess our stories of migration mm-hmm. and coming to australia or our families coming to australia are similar right we saw these houses and i think we laughed about the story of how when i was younger i used to call centrelink or the gas company on behalf of my parents. <laughs> but then eventually you just stop asking your parents permission and you, you just, don't. You just mm. pre- pretend to be them. <laughs> Say X, Y, Z, this is my date of birth. Yeah. This is what I need to do, mm. right? And, and similar stories with yourself and yeah. hearing my Vietnamese experience in Australia was very similar mm. to a Zimbabwean experience in Australia as yeah. well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, exploring identity and belonging is such a huge thing. I'm still on that journey. I'm going to go to Japan next year mm-hmm. to continue that journey. Somehow I think Japan will be another experience that will just overwhelm me and I will learn something about myself. Um, I moved to Australia in 2009, a year after my dad had moved in 2008. Mm. Back then, African migrants were moving to Australia as skilled migrants. Obviously, you've got your skilled migrants, your non-skilled migrants, your refugees, asylum seekers, etc. He was a skilled migrant. He was mm-hmm. coming here to be a boiler maker for mm. a company called Time and Industries. And um, Time and Industries was, to the best of my memory and knowledge, a company that was doing something in the mining industry, but not in the mining industry. I think it had to do with um, making those big trucks that carried the stuff from the mines. <laughs> I've never really asked. It just, it just was it one services of the, the, the mining I, industry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Better way of putting it. Services the mining industry. Um, and he was here for a year. He moved here with a few other friends. He worked for a company in Africa called Zimasco. I mm-hmm. forget what the Zimasco stands for, but something to do again with mining. Mm-hmm. Um, just not my area of expertise yeah, to be yeah. able to explain to you. But, um, the recruiter from Australia came to Zamasco and he saw the skill among these men who worked in the mines that he wanted in Australia. Mm. So he proposed that, you know, we'd sponsor you, all of the cool things. So I had one of the better migration stories because we had a sponsor. Mm-hmm. We came here. He then moved in with his friends. So they lived in like a share house for a year or so. And the family began coming to the country. Um, so, yeah, we moved here 2009 on August 24th. Um on Malaysian Airlines, if you would like to know. I even knew what I was wearing on MH370 that day. or? No, not that one. <laughs> no, not that one. Um, but I remember exactly the experience of getting on a plane, going, being in Malaysia, and mm. then meeting this lady. Um, I still remember her, but I one day hope to find her in person. Um, and it just showed me how small my worldview had been prior to that. And it was encapsulated at Acme as well. Um, in Zimbabwe, I was younger. I was 11 then. Everything was mm. large, massive. You know, the houses were big, the streets were big, the shops were big. I, that's all I knew. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you don't know, yeah. you know. I was in Malaysia at the airport with a lady who was on the same flight. She's also from Melbourne. Yeah. She lives in Dandenong. But if someone tells you, I live in Dandenong when you're in Malaysia, coming from Zimbabwe, <laughs> it's like, okay, whatever that is. <laughs> and she was from Eritrea. Again, uh-huh. I didn't even know what Eritrea was. I just knew what I knew and mm. I didn't know what I didn't know. So she just was like a foreign. She was almost alien-like to me because I'd never experienced seeing someone who was of Muslim background. I'd never... I'd seen them, but there's a difference between what I had seen and what I was seeing at this point in Malaysia. Landed in Australia in my double denim. My mom had double <laughs> denim too, if you would like to I know. It, yeah. Um, and yeah, and, 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 and so this journey of 
um, identity and finding belonging in this space began. I remember my first walk to the convenience store, which is a milk bar, um, and buying milk and thinking, milk available it's right in front of me yeah and here's yeah. bread available in front of me and um not to skip but just to preface how we ended up getting to acme i went hmm. back to zimbabwe um in 2018 for the first time after almost 10 years here yeah. and everything was so small mm. everything was almost minutely small and it just wow. showed me again how my worldview had expanded because in those 10 years i'd been to japan thailand um india um nepal and mm probably some other place I'm forgetting um, and travel around Australia as well. And I'd seen big structures and big things and um, temples and buildings and schools. So seeing my streets again felt very, very small. Mm. So getting to Acme and having that discussion around identity and seeing those houses, it, it, it brought back memories again. And it just encapsulated my journey of trying to find where I belong because I was mm. seeing those tiny little houses in Acme, those visuals of people dancing, thinking, huh, I wonder where I sit in this spectrum here because I'm still trying to figure out if this is my identity as well. Um, mm. Only because when I went back to Zimbabwe, I didn't feel like I belonged there anymore. Yeah. I didn't feel like this was home. And I listened to your podcast with Kano, both of you talking about not feeling like Vietnam and the Philippines were exactly home to both of you. Mm. And not sure what to do because mm -hmm. here in Australia, I'm African Australian. Mm -hmm. If I don't put the African there, someone would then go, and what what are you for real? Before? Where are you really? Where from? are you really yeah. exactly? <laughs> and in Zimbabwe, I no longer am off the streets. Like I, I stuck at like a sotam. I just didn't my bargaining skills at the market, you know, <laughs> had dipped. My bargaining skills at a at a combi, which is the bus, had also dipped. I just mm. didn't it was, I just felt like, again, I was in Lilliput and I was the massive mm -hmm. man in a small place. Yeah. Incredible. Wow. The story of Kevin Kopecky. <laughs> Ever-evolving. <laughs> of course, of course. And look, for myself, almost 30 years now, and it's each and every day you, you grow. Mm -hmm. But you grow with the identity of where you've come from, where your parents have come from, mm -hmm. and all those generations into a world that we are really creating and pushing and shoving and pushing and feeling yeah. as well. So we're dancing with the world around us. So we're growing each and every day. And I'm guessing that's the same for you, Jasper, yeah. isn't it? it Unfolding is. identities. Unfolding identities and growing each day. I think there's something that's always stuck in me. You, you told me this. I mentioned something about this podcast and you said, you said, this phrase in your growth phrase and you're like we're always growing mm. and that always stuck with me i was like oh man i can't believe i said that i didn't realize i had a bit of ego in me that i, I wasn't growing anymore and that i've always been reminded of that like damn i am always growing mm -hmm. we are always becoming and finding our identities right do we i have that question do we ever really find out who we are mm -hmm. or is that just a growing development you know because since we're always ever changing, our bodies are changing like what every two, three, three months or something like that. So we're not the same person every every time that we think. Mm -hmm. So, and I guess as well that's why um, I get jealous of people who do understand exactly who they are. Mm -hmm. I've got a friend who's from regional Victoria. He knows exactly where he's from, exactly what his place in the world is, and exactly what his parents like. He gets it, yeah. and I get jealous of that. You know, 
pleasure of right. knowing exactly what you know um, and being content all yeah. the time because I still struggle. Should I live here forever? Should I go back <laughs> to Africa? Should I go somewhere else? Yeah. All those questions are still in my head. Mm. But I'm, I'm like, I'm not a, what do you call, a jack of all trades or a master of none. I'm, yeah. I'm not, nowhere is home. I'm just a person that's lived in different places. Mm. So It's interesting that you mentioned that because the youth-led unit, mm. at one point, I wanted to name it third culture mm. or third culture kid right because you were born in zimbabwe mm -hmm. that was your first culture mm -hmm. you've come to australia and that's your new culture mm -hmm. but you're stuck in between so that's that third culture as well you're zimbabwean australian or mm -hmm. if somebody asks you where you're from or what's your heritage what what do you say and how do you answer that question good question i honestly i don't think i've nailed that perfectly yet some mm -hmm. people get annoyed if i say zimbabwe and australian because you're we're all australian i'm like yeah i know but it's not really how it, you know people yeah. perceive that um i've always said african australian mm. um i'm not sure if i've nailed it if that feels comfortable to me just yet but it is what it is that's what i say on paper um yeah it used to just be zimbabwean but then you get a citizenship and things change mm. it's never just been australian but i think mm. i think i'm working towards that i also feel like a i'm, I'm someone who's um I shouldn't say patriotic because I think the the the, um, the you know attendance people then think wildly of someone. I'm a patriotic person. The the connotations are not great. Yeah. But I'm someone who's always about a sense of country and a sense of belonging. Mm. Even back in Zimbabwe, I didn't fight in the civil war. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't fight in the independence struggle. But I value the flag. I value what yeah. it stands for. Mm. I value the leadership all the time, regardless of who's in power. I'm someone who's very attuned to um, what's going on around me politically. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. um, I hope I can earn and feel comfortable to one day say that I am just Australian and mm. that's okay and I've contributed enough. I think I'm trying to. That's why all these board positions, community volunteering stuff all happens. That's my you know, desire to want to build enough capacity to then say, you know, he did all right. He's a, he's a good Australian. Mm. Australian. We are all Australian, right? Yeah. Despite our colour and and what we look yeah. at like really and i find it so beautiful that i can have a chat to you about your story and, and coming to australia mm -hmm. and my story is a bit different where my parents are refugees and and they came over by boat via a malaysian refugee camp right but i'm still australian yeah. and your family have come over through the philippines and from uh, a family member coming here first yeah. and sponsoring you mm -hmm. over yeah you're australian as well Right, the people who are already here. Well, this is a hard topic, right? I don't yeah. really want to go into this, but mm. they are obviously Australian. Mm. But the people who came in here, who colonized it, they're Australian as well, right? So we come by so many flavors and tastes and yeah. colors and smells. It's it's beautiful. This fabric of multiculturalism, right? And I guess when I speak about this, when I speak to you and the rest of our youth-led unit about it, mm. it is so inspiring to hear these stories of everyday people who carry incredible heritage and history behind them to make Australia what it really is right here and right now. I think sometimes I just, I just am not strong enough. I'm just too tired of having to explain things. I don't think I'm there yet. I, I, I acknowledge my learning journey. Mm -hmm. I'm not there yet to be able to defend my Australianness all the time. It gets mm -hmm. very exhausting. And I'm not someone that acknowledge, I, I don't acknowledge the how tired I am from having to justify that I'm Australian or that I'm not, or I justify my identity. 
I acknowledge the journey that I've got to go, but mm. the lessons learned are sometimes heavy and it's not something that I am always ready to just say, okay, here we go. Let's dive into that again. It takes time and effort and energy. Mm. And I'm not sure that I have that all the time. Someone who I listen to um, does talk about the heavy burden of being an advocate or mm. being, you know, um, an ally in the space, not whether you have the lived experience or you're just an ally through, you know, understanding others' perspectives. It's a big job and it's a tiring job sometimes. And, this is a safe space to say that, but not all spaces are like this, mm. you know? So yeah, it's a learning journey. Do you have to defend your Australianness? I haven't for a long time because I think I've, I'm finally, or I'm, I'm at a better place in terms of understanding who my community looks like and who it is. Mm-hmm. I don't veer a lot. I'm always you know, on a learning journey and I always understand the place of maximum learning and not being in the danger zone. Mm-hmm. Um, However, I'm not in places often now where that discussion is one where I have to defend myself. I think I'm fairly insulated and protected. Mm-hmm. And every so often I try to go in the danger zone and see, you know, what's out there, go to areas where I'm not, like, I, not to, again, um, stereoty- stereotypical, but I, being in a pub, for example, is a place that I'm not super familiar with and I'm not sure that mm-hmm. I, I'd be okay. the, the same version of Kevin you're talking to today, um, being at a football game is an era that's different difference between cricket and football by the way in terms of difference in crowds um, mm. at those places yeah. um so yeah i think i'm insulated enough now and i feel safe enough now to be comfortable with where i'm at so where did your family land when they got to australia mm. i guess did your parent, mother come over here as well yes 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 so my immediate family got to move here and um Again, just looking at this, the the Southern Seeker situation in this country, I have an enormous amount of privilege that I've come from to even just get here in one piece mm-hmm. with my entire family intact. That's something that not everyone gets to experience. So my dad was here for a year. He prepared a, a house. Um, it, it was a build. It was a physical structure. I don't know about calling it a house. It was a, a structure that stood the test of the weather, um, but it didn't have... Um, a lot that need that it needed, but it was fine. That's mm-hmm. the first house we came to. Yeah. And honestly, again, coming from such a small, small way of life and a mm. small, it was massive to me. Um, so we landed in Melbourne. Um, so we're here in Melbourne, lived in Reservoir for those first few years, yeah. maybe three or four in that building structure. Um, and honestly it was fine to me the convenience store was close by the school was close by there was a few people that i knew we i had the typical greek nana who lived next door who mm-hmm. made me and my sister and my brother food a lot of food yeah um, um i had indian neighbors on the other side i really lived that quintessential you in australia life now mm-hmm. um that desire to want to better ourselves didn't um change until at least for myself to told my parents we need to move to a better house or whatever. It didn't change until I walked home with my school colleague one day. And um, she made a comment when she got to our house. I, I, I'd never thought about it. I'd never really put pictured that we lived in a particular condition. Mm. And she said, oh, I didn't know that you guys were poor. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think we're both in like year, year nine. And I'm thinking, oh, I guess we are poor. <laughs> Look at this place. <laughs> and, yeah, and then that journey then... Yeah, I think we were in that house for third, for a couple of more months at that point. It really was. It was it was it was a 
the planks were still standing. So thank God by the time it was it was, it was coming undone. It was okay. Your, yeah. It was a typical older weatherboard type house. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, again, I was happy there. That comment changed my persuasive skills. My parents said, let's try, be better and move on maybe to mm. the outer suburbs, more like Amanda in the newer estates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's try go to the next place. But um, I was always happy in those first few years in Australia, in Melbourne. Very privileged. I watched... I used to go for Essen Football Club then. That was the first so- uh, football match that I saw on TV. Yeah. We used to watch Channel 7 only because that's the TV channel that I turned on when we first turned our TV on. And it just becomes like the staple. Yeah. You eventually diversify your, your viewing habits. And you're like, oh, ABC or SBS. Black yeah, people yeah, yeah. on TV. Ooh, yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> there, were, there were people like that out here. Um, but yeah, always came from enormous privilege, even in our situation. So as a, what, 10-year-old Kevin Kapecki mm. turning on Channel 7 for the first time and seeing the footy, AFL, and I guess... White Homes and Gardens. And Home and Gardens. <laughs> Friday night. I think it was Friday night. Home and Away. Mm. All yeah. of their shows. Yes, yes, Home and Away. Mm. Well, what were you thinking when you saw black people for the first time on the ABC or SBS? Mm. The people mm. who look like you, who represent you, who share the same stories as yeah. you? Well, I'm... Again, the learning journey, observing that I'm not someone who is for representation for the sake of representation. Yeah. It has to be in safe, clear spaces. I acknowledge that sometimes you can just plonk someone on TV and you create a very toxic environment for them. Mm. When you talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, you have to create an equitable space for them to want to then feel included. So don't just plonk someone there for the sake of yeah. doing that. Okay. I remember reading, it must have been Neighbours, I forget which show it was. And I think you were, I feel like saying it was the First Nations character who talked about environment on neighbors that wasn't safe for them it wasn't a culturally safe space for them like what does that mean a culturally safe space and that i think that's the e in the diversity and inclusion in terms of thinking what does equality for the sake of equality is not good you know Mm -hmm. people need different things and you have to be very clear and conscious of that and this young man who was just plonked on the widest show on tv needed there to be a culturally cultural understanding of what he needed to do the support he needed to have because it's a lot of pressure and you know the social media and everything so not everyone deserved the same thing Mm -hmm. so i'll just park that there yeah yeah so in terms of football on tv yeah i idolized i think my jack door was the first football player that i saw um going onto the field was his experience good perhaps it was but you know there's always allegations of racism Mm. i I saw the first nations people who played for i think it was hawthorne and it's really interesting now looking at the the saga that's happening and and, and that situation there so i feel very torn as i'm sitting here thinking the representation mattered to me however it wasn't a safe space for them Mm. so i hope that in trying to get to a to a position where I'm the first black person here or the first black person there or the first to do this. I hope it's safe for me because I'm a very fragile person. You know, I'll burst into tears or just walk away. But it meant a lot. It meant a lot seeing them. It meant a lot. I think on the ABC, maybe SBS, there were a dime a dozen TV shows that, that looked much more familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I watch a TV show now called Taste the Nation by Padman Lakshmi, who is an American chef. Mm-hmm. And she goes around America tasting different foods. And that concept is one and i just watched the episode yesterday with my dad and that 
concept is one that is very familiar to me. Mm-hmm. I'm used to watching MasterChef. We haven't even had a single black chef. I'm like, okay, no one cook has none of us applied. My mom, just go do something, you know. <laughs> um, why? And with no offense to the more established communities, um, it's the usual Asian and um, Asian fusion and European and Eurocentric mm. methods. So my community still has a long way to go. I sometimes hate that we're the first ones not the first ones here, but we're on that first trajectory yeah. of migration yeah. in the in the sense of in the past 20, 30 years. I wish I'd come later and just enjoyed the fruits of others' labor. <laughs> but sadly, we have to be the first in certain instant instances. But it meant a lot seeing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're with the trailblazing community then? I don't know about being with them. I'm holding on to, the, to, to their garments and just hoping they drag <laughs> me with them. <laughs> so how can organizations make places and spaces safer for young multicultural Mm. or multicultural people in Mm. general Mm. well as you asked that the fear in my heart (laughs) (laughs) um it's a heavy topic Mm. and when the person veronica pardo is her name great Mm. great person to look up to um when she did this talk at my workplace um a little while back and she said it's a heavy topic i didn't really believe her because i'm not usually confronted by the realities of colonial structures and things that are here because the caucasian community want them to be there to stay the way they are um So it's a heavy one to talk about how to create equitable spaces for different Mm. people. She explained through a diagram, I forget the name of the diagram, but Mm. it essentially, if you can visualize it, it has three circles. Each circle is, um, so the first circle is one, and then the second one is over the other one, then the last one is a much bigger one. Mm -hmm. In the middle circle, the very first one is is, is green, it's called the safe zone. It's where most of us survive, and you know, you live there, you don't veer outside of your control, you go to work, you go back home, you have your dinner with your friends, and the things, the hardships of other communities, the Asantika community, the uh, migrant communities, you don't see them, because you see exactly what's curated for you. Mm -hmm. You watch Netflix, you watch your or, um, taste the nation shows and you're like oh diversity great it's over there it's not over here with me i'm yeah. just here i live in the inner city mm. and then you have your learning zone which is outside of that mm-hmm. sometimes you veer into the learning zone then back into your safe zone maybe you go on a train oh my gosh diverse people on a train and you know <laughs> burkas and hijabs and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. etc and you, you learn different things etc etc and sometimes you go to a class maybe or you have a, a diversity workshop at work diversity equity inclusion we're the big organization you know we're doing all of these things and you learn then you go back to your saves and you're i'm an ally i support you you're a diverse person here you know we've got a prayer room i hope that's enough do you know what i mean like um, it's that learning and then going back to your safe zone then there's a danger zone as well which is whereby you do too much and you go over and you end okay. up in danger, whether you're perceived as racist because you're doing certain things or you're in areas that definitely aren't safe for you, you know, and you end up in the red zone. So it's the green, yellow, and the red. You end up in this dangerous zone where, mm-hmm. you know, like, my gosh, there's been a racist um, a discrimination thing that's happening around here. I don't know how to handle that. I'm panicking and you're now in danger. The point of maximum learning is 
between the learning zone and the danger zone. It's right on the border, whereby you aren't in the danger zone, but you're learning and you're seeing the danger. Mm-hmm. It's one way you're exposed to the visuals of what's happening in the third world countries and you're learning. You're not in the floods yeah. in Pakistan, but you're learning and you mm-hmm. understand exactly what to do as an ally. You're not in the famine in Somalia, but you're learning. You're not in the safe zone. Yeah. You're between the learning zone and the danger zone. It's a lot of pressure to want to ask someone what they can do to be a better ally or to be someone who supports diverse communities. Mm-hmm. You have to learn to be uncomfortable. Um, that's what I've been taught by Veronica. Listening to her, you have to learn to um, be okay with being uncomfortable, right? Because um, <laughs> because um, finding finding comfort in what you know doesn't provide any learning. So mm-hmm. it's about asking the questions. It's about um, trying to figure out, yeah, we're looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion. What does that look like in, in reality for a person? How can we put ourselves in their lived? What, what's, their, what's their point of difference? Um, what can we do to ensure that we are providing the best, safest space for a person that we can? And I don't have the lessons here with me, but mm-hmm. one thing that I picked up in my journey of learning is that it's okay to still be learning and it's mm. okay to ask for assistance i still ask for assistance of course i've had people reach out to me um and express you know express racial vilification cases i'm thinking i don't know what to do either i might be the black person here the only one in this but i don't <laughs> know what to do and i'm gonna go ask for assistance mm. and we'll find an equitable solution that benefits all where we can also learn too because it's, it's a learning journey here yeah, absolutely so what can organizations do? There's a lot of learning to do. There's a lot of um, representation for the, sake of, for the sake of representation in organizations that aren't safe for people to just be paddling in. So we need to learn. We need to learn at a systematic level as well, not just for those who deliver programs or for just the managers to be the one. We all need to learn mm, yeah. and understand what system we live in and what role we have to play. I'm always fascinated by organizations and i think everyone does that now at the bottom of the application form for a job they say we welcome you know aboriginal Torres Strait islanders mm-hmm. um employees and migrant communities to apply we welcome everyone to apply and i'm thinking okay yeah. that's good that you welcome everyone mm-hmm. but what structures do you have in place to really welcome those people mm-hmm. you know we can't just do um diwali and give the snacks you know, when time comes um, during the month or do Africa Day and do the snacks, mm-hmm. what are we doing as an organization to break those barriers, the colonial structures that have been set in place to ensure that those people from those communities do feel like they're part of the fabric? Right. You know, um, do you have a First Nations action plan in place? And everyone just says, you know, we welcome, we're sure you welcome them. Do you have an action plan that mm-hmm. tackles the injustices of First Nations communities? Who are you learning from? Yeah. You know, who are you, who is driving the car? The analogy that she gave was one about driving the car, whereby mm-hmm. 
you can't have a driver in a car who doesn't know where we're going. You know, you can't have a driver in a car who doesn't have a clear picture of where we're going. I feel like my organization understands where we're going. Hence, we're on this learning journey together. Mm -hmm. But not every organization understands where you're going. So who's in that driver's seat? Who is the conductor? Who is the, who's got dibs on the first, in the dibs in the front row of the yeah, car? Yeah. Because we're all in the back seat, hoping you're taking us to the better place. But if you if we're driving a car that the driver isn't sure where we're going, we are not going to do well by people who need mm -hmm. the assistance who are sitting in the back. So this is incredible. Your learnings from the past, what, two, three years <laughs> yeah. since COVID. Wow. Right? This is a lot of depth yeah. and so. internalized <laughs> lived experience that you have that you could share and process that and articulate that first and foremost. Mm. So look, incredible to have you on here and, and share those stories, right? But yeah. I guess I want to dive deep into who you are, especially yeah. in your moment of crisis, what helped you rise up? Because Okiru stands for rise up mm. in Japanese. And I guess we've all got our stories of, of rising up as well. Mm. And, and Jasper can share his story in a second later as well. But I'd love to what what did you do to become so resilient to get yourself out of bed as that 22-year-old to not mm. just accept mediocrity, if we want yeah. to call it that? Yeah, no, you can call it that. I I, I, I like that word. Um, well, I, my, I, I okirud, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I rose up. I okirud um, at a certain point, I guess, in April when... Um, um, in reflection now, there are two things that were very, very apparent to me then that I know now and I try to live my life by doing those things here. I had no one to ask for help, number one. I had no one that I could mm. reach out to, or so I thought, mm. right? I'm like, mm. here I am. We live in Craigieburn now. I am, you know, I'm a Craigieburner. Um, um, and I was waking up. Nothing to nothing to do, nowhere to go. Um, we were in lockdowns, we couldn't do much. Struggling. Um, and then I I think again, March, February, March, April, we were again in that first early onset of COVID. Nothing was happening in the job application stage. And then I thought I'm gonna ask for help. I'm gonna ask for assistance. My mom was the first one. And again, I was already back at Woolworths, so I was okay with starting again. I wasn't even mm. embarrassed by going back to Woolworths and going back into um, retail after I tried to pivot away from that. I was okay starting again. My mom asked me to do this course in mental health because there were jobs in mental health yeah, and right. aged care. And I was like, oh, fine, we'll do it, it's all right. So I did the course under the free TAFE program. Thank God for that, because I had no cash. Um, <laughs> And by the time that I finished that, I had reached out to my member of parliament, Maria Van Vakenu, the member for Corwell. Mm. And I was part of a youth subcommittee. It was called the Corwell Youth... What was it called? Gosh, these advisory committees, there's been many now. I think it was called the Corwell <laughs> Youth Advisory Committee. Yeah. And yeah, we were just yeah. basically ad advocating on a couple of different things in our localized area that we could change and we could, you know, champion. And she helped me and she helped us have a, a, a country night for Zimbabwe and talk mm. about Zimbabwean culture, share some food. And she came along and people were a part of the people in the community, not just my community, but Caucasian people, Indian people, people who live within Kowal were enjoying mm. these opportunities to hear and learn as well. And then I, she offered me a job. 
as an electoral officer. I think it was two days a week. I'm amen. You know, you're happy to be employed to do her community engagement work. We were now in lockdown. Um, we were struggling in lockdown, and um, she wanted someone to assist, you know, running town forums and town halls, things we'd never really done online before. So pivoting onto Zoom, we have an aging population in my community as well. We have migrant communities in my community. We have, I think, some of the largest numbers of asylum seekers living in Hume, yeah. one of the most diverse communities in the country, full stop. And we were struggling then, and there had to be this great partnership with council and... Um, and um, and um, state government, all levels of government had to kind of band together. And our little part as a federal government, being that health is a state government thing, or at least public health, etc. Um, we were doing these forums with doctors, talking about vaccines. I remember one thing in particular, um, and I'll just mention it just as a learning experience too, mm. had to do with um, a particular time where the Greek community who watch Greek news on the TV because SBS offers you everything. Mm -hmm. um, and the one particular vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine, wasn't having the best effects yep. in Europe at that time. Mm -hmm. And this had an effect on people here who were saying, oh, why, why would I get that vaccine if it's not working for people in Europe? Are you trying to kill us? Are you trying to, you know, you're not researching properly. Mm -hmm. And that then involved getting doctors involved, people from the council involved, people from the Multicultural Commission involved. Mm -hmm. It was a very tough time yeah wow but the reflection that i have then was that maria helped me and gave me that platform and you know from then on um things just kind of spiraled in terms of being able to feel comfortable to ask for help and feeling comfortable to learn from people mm -hmm. capacity building should be my middle name not because i do it well but because i'm trying to be a capacity builder as well i know the power of mm -hmm. having someone write you a recommendation letter you know um from maria being the first one i even remember um then going to cultiverse I had a good yeah. reference too for that from mm -hmm. from Maria's office, from Cultiverse to um to where I work now at Big Health. I had a mm -hmm. good reference for that too. It means a lot to me now in my state, people to believe in me that they'll write letters for me, recommend me, and that mentorship is very very important. Mm -hmm. One of my mentors is a vice chancellor for Trobe University, Professor John Jua incredible person mm -hmm. um and to even you know i we plan our meetings with his assistant like six months in advance that's how busy <laughs> you have to like put in your half an hour six months in advance and that i'm like gosh you know it's not that i can't acknowledge this feedback from someone else but it means a lot yeah. coming from the vice chancellor of the university to believe in me to give me the reference to run for a board position yeah they don't know because Perhaps they do. They don't know what that means for a person like me to get that support. For my CEO at Vicount to provide that means a lot to me. So to be in a position now where people are asking me for a reference, I'm thinking, yes, 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 I'll give it to you. <laughs> I did it in retail. I'll do it now because yeah. I know the power that has on changing someone's life. Mm. Mm. Wow. So what does belief mean for you, Jasper? Belief. Mm -hmm. Yeah somebody believing in you and and for me you're right as as a young person going through your career and saying hey this this guy has it mm -hmm. let's yeah. help him out mm -hmm. we can see potential potential <laughs> we can see limitless we can see this person grow mm -hmm. obviously it's selfish right they can help me do my job right. and then we'll elevate him so that mm -hmm. he can help me but also we're investing in his skills and and his power mm -hmm. as well and that gives you confidence mm -hmm. 
what I'm saying here is that gives you confidence to just be able to do more, to, mm-hmm. to get out there, to put your name out there, to walk from the comfort zone into what was that next zone? Oh, the learning zone. The learning zone and like dancing and dancing and teasing and weaving with the danger zone (laughs) as well, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's important. Like I can, I feel I can, can relate to your story of there was a point in my life when I completed my uni and after that I was trying to find a job, right? In design. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find a job. I was, I was doing nothing for like, almost a, two years, right? I was sleeping at like 4 a.m. playing video games and then waking up and rinse and repeat because I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with life. Mm-hmm. And that change happened was when I started to watch like motivational videos on YouTube, mm-hmm. right? Every morning I start with that and it would be like Joe Rogan or someone would say, hey, wake up at 5 a.m., do this, do that. And it was so uncomfortable. I was waking up at, I was going to sleep at 5 a.m. Mm. And these guys say, wake up at 5 a.m. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? How do I do that? Mm. So it was, it was a process. How can I just get to the gym, right? How can I just get there mm. and build the capacity to get that under my belt? Mm-hmm. And it started from going to the gym at 10 a.m. till then going at 11 p.m. And I was finding, all right, like, this is not good for me. I'm getting too tired. Mm-hmm. And I was going to gym like two, three times a week for three hours a day, right? Mm-hmm. And then it got to a point where how can I develop a system where I can follow these guys who are saying, get up at 5 a.m. and start doing stuff that where you want to go, mm-hmm. right? I really want to be a designer. That's why I didn't want to find jobs at like warehousing or retail or anything mm-hmm. like that. But my parents were like saying, dude, like you're, you're doing nothing. You're just sleeping. You're playing games. Like find a job. But I was like, man, I really want to do this. I have clients sometimes that do stuff, but it would be like once every six months or something. So it wasn't efficient and I lost that belief in myself, mm-hmm. right? And it was just developing the system, getting uncomfortable. All right, I got to start waking up at 5 a.m., 4 a.m. and getting in the position where I start the day strong. And in order to do that, you had to develop the system. Like, right, what can I do to kind of trigger my brain? All right, do this. Right. Have your clothes on when you go to sleep mm-hmm. or have the clothes set aside right next to your bed. And once you see that, all right, it's a trigger. I need to go to, to, the, to the gym. Mm-hmm. And I was doing that really consistently. And it got real comfortable. And then for times past, when you got comfortable with something, you can kind of start to fall back, go backwards. And you have to find ways to develop uncomfortable habits, challenging yourself. Mm-hmm. There's an importance in challenging yourself, right? Because then you, you see how much you can grow how much your capacity is. Mm-hmm. So like I really resonate with that, you know. And it takes time. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. It takes mm-hmm. a lot of time, man. But it's incredible to see at such a young age to wait, how old are you if you don't mind me? Twenty five. Twenty five, mm-hmm. right. I got my first job at twenty four and it wasn't it's not a great job. It's a warehousing job, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it started somewhere, you know? And I didn't have that vision still. I was like, all right, at least I can earn money every day. Mm-hmm. And then luckily enough, like we're here because Gerald just asked me a question like, Hey, you want to start something and we're here today. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was a, a big step to, to grow to the position I'm in now, because mm-hmm. if you knew me a few years back, I was a completely different person. I was timid. I was so quiet. I was so shy and I had no self-confidence. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm building to become even more confident now to become a better communicator. But I had to get uncomfortable, right? We were, we were discussing before, what was it like, you know, the first podcast, it was so messy. We were so uncomposed mm. and we're developing skills to get better. But you do that through the reps, mm. right? And constantly getting uncomfortable, like hearing your voice. You have mm-hmm. to listen to that so that you can really analyze you know, look into the reflection and be like, how can I improve? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to hurt yourself. Like, oh, I was saying this, oh, I've got I to gotta change that habit, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of value in, in the uncomfortable zone mm-hmm. of life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the one thing that's consistent there is that idea of being surrounded by other people. Yeah. And in our culture, mm. in African culture, we really do believe that it takes a village to raise someone. Mm. Um, and within it, there's people in the village as well, you know. Mm. Having, surrounding yourself with a high-performing team is very yeah. important. Even if they're not high-performing, if they at least are trying to perform, that's good enough. Mm. Um, having colleagues who are people that, you know, get you going all the time. I always feel motivated when I have dinner with people that I know the discussion will just be great because I get motivated yeah. someone was telling me something that I might never do but it's just hearing it it's like oh that's really cool about you know monetizing our voices mm-hmm. on a podcast yeah. or on YouTube and building that um, consultancy of people saying hey I want to I want that person to talk to my people mm. I'll pay him to fly here and do what he needs to do I talk to Kano and I have dinner with Kano mm-hmm. and it's all about again using our story to benefit community exactly. and that you only get if you surround yourself with people who are also on that journey with you and yeah. willing to try and in my community it's taken some time to find those people because we've you know um as zimbabwean people our faith in the system is generally shaken mm-hmm. people who come from um authoritative countries countries that Mm. don't respect democracy you give up on the system you give up on your voice being heard in the system Mm. so to say that i'm the first person to do this is only because no one else wants to they won't even try so having people around me much like yourself who are going to ask you those questions and challenge you and make you feel uncomfortable sometimes has been a great learning experience Mm. yeah so i resonate with that Mm. you mentioned like um you you want to find yourself right mm. <clears throat> build your identity and you go into japan mm. well what are you expecting to find there listen i tried to find myself in many places perhaps <laughs> i just never will find myself anyway um the journey did begin in india mm. and that point at that intersection the road intersection yeah. is still one that is ingrained in my brain um after that i i went to Europe recently in April and my mm. first annual leave from yeah. work I get to do the whole four weeks <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's a privilege to be paid to be yeah. doing, to be away <laughs> on holiday and I went to Europe with another organization that I'm on the board for um, but I, I extended my stay in Europe then to just you know enjoy a few other yeah. countries saw my friend in Belgium um, my other not even a friend my other people it's a person that i knew i'm trying to like put people that i knew just i'll meet you let's just show me around yeah. <laughs> in italy and my aunt was in turkey i've got a fa- some family in the uk as well so i was never alone my boss also gave me some contacts some very cool people in switzerland and belgium too cool. so i constantly had people to talk to mm. and you know and, and 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 have along the journey 
I wanted to find myself. I had a vision from Instagram of places that I wanted to go and see if I can feel something in those places. Um, I think it's called Luberton, which is in Switzerland. I wanted uh-huh. to go there. I got there, but I didn't really see Kevin. <laughs> I just saw <laughs> just saw some green and waterfalls <laughs> and nice trains, and that was fine. Yeah. Um, I got closer to that in Turkey, which my experience in Turkey was one that was not the easiest one. Yeah. You know, my aunt is there working, um, not doing too well financially. Um, she left Zimbabwe and um, it was a harsher reality to be mm. like, oh my gosh, this is this is not the holiday that I dreamt of, but it's okay, we're here in the moment. Um, I had a better time in Europe in terms of seeing other versions of my family mm. with, with the English accent. Oh, wow, you Zimbabwean with your accent? <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, and that was much closer to like, okay, I'm in here somewhere. I, yeah. I saw two of my aunts and their young children, um, even grown children have got the typical British accent. And even that was a, that was a, hmm, I'm closer, I'm closer, I'm closer. But I came back without a bag. So I lost part of myself in Europe because I physically left my bag in Europe. Um, and now I want to go to Japan just to again, keep learning whether it's cultures, personalities, people. I've been to Japan before as an exchange student yeah. when I was in year eight. Um, back then, my dad just signed me up for anything that related to me getting out there and, yeah. you know, speaking, debating, being going to Japan, I did that. I had a very good host mom and host siblings in Japan. A great learning experience. Again, learning other cultures, things you can't do in your own mm. circle. You have to be in the danger zone sometimes mm. to learn these things. Coming from Zimbabwe, things are so small. I was in Australia, things became so big. I went to Japan, yeah. they became even bigger. You've got Disneyland and super long buildings <laughs> and fast bullet trains. So your world is expensive banded exponentially yeah. and the same happened in india as well mm. so perhaps it's not finding myself but it's just finding more that right. i can learn from and learn you know to build capacity yeah. in certain areas even in europe like getting trained from you know belgium to switzerland switzerland it was just such a cool experience yeah. that i hadn't had before we have metro here and <laughs> that that lets you down sometimes <laughs> but i wasn't let down i wasn't let down by the italo between yeah. venice and um and and um, Florence, like it was very efficient. And just that experience of living through those moments meant a lot to yeah. me. So I don't know what I'll find in Japan, aside from good food and good company, but um, I will learn something uh-huh. and I'll bring that back and make that fit into my way of living. Amazing. Mm. So what's interesting, what I'm hearing is that you're trying to find yourself by looking elsewhere. Mm. Going to Europe and meeting all these people. I know. I'm such a... So you're chasing the external. Mm. But what do you do in terms of introspection? Do you look within? Do you have meditative practices? Do you mm. write? And in addition to that, tell me about burnout as well. Because mm. you're a budding politician. You're on multiple wow. boards. Wow. You... <laughs> work full-time for Vic Health and you do incredible community engagement, right? Tell me yeah. about your time and your energy. Listen, we're African, you know. The day <laughs> is as long as you want the day to be. My day just keeps going. It never really ends. Um, you got to do what you got to do, you know. Mm. I think. I think perhaps if I was another culture, I wouldn't... 
I'd feel burnout more. Do I feel it? Yes, and we'll get to that. But I think that watching my mom do night shift and then go to school during the day makes mm. me feel invincible. I can work yeah. through the night and begin mm. work in the morning, then work again. You know, if my mom can do it, and my dad can, then I can too. It's no problem. So that's number one. Number two. Again, the day is as long as I'd like it to be. It, it is very well planned. I'm a very calendar person. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm driving 20 minutes. I need 10 minutes to walk to the office. I need that. Like, it's very, and very still particular. Late. And I'm still late. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, the, the lateness, it, it's part of my DNA. I think uh, um, people, black people and being late, it's, um, it's, I will do a study one day. It's in there somewhere. Shout out to Sherry Rose. Yes. <laughs> We're very similar in um in, in in being laid to most places, um. But no, that's in our DNA. We'll mm-hmm. get to that. However, um, I enjoy a planned day. I enjoy doing as much as I can, learning as much yeah. as I can, and um and and experiencing as much as I can. I enjoy this. If I wanted to sleep on the Saturday and Sunday, I wouldn't be here. I enjoy this. I enjoy going mm-hmm. from here, going to my colleague's mm-hmm. house and talking about a startup we want to do. That takes time. That takes effort. I Absolutely. enjoy being part of committees that are doing very good things to build capacity of young people and mm-hmm. uh, understand what's happening out there in the world. And I, I don't want to spoil things that we're working for next year for different committees that I'm on, but it's it's a it's a thrill to be a part of these experiences now introspectively i could meditate more i'm not going to lie about that i've used the smiling mind app mm. um to i think they've got guided meditation classes mm-hmm. that's just not an african thing generally it's been a learning experience to even be calm enough to sit for a while and just meditate mm-hmm. maybe not as Zimbabwe thing other but other countries but i know my community we don't we don't meditate we're doing it now um these holidays mean a lot as well. Um, mm-hmm. This traveling, this exploring, etc. Do I look internally enough? Probably not. And you're right. It does seem a bit opposite to be looking for myself outside, which is why I'm saying perhaps I just want to keep learning and keep mm-hmm. bettering myself. Yeah. Perhaps I'm fearful of what's inside. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as good as I think I am. Or maybe I'm better than I think I am. And that's even more pressure. So mm-hmm. That's interesting meditation formally it is a sit down eyes closed practice mm. but it doesn't have to be like that well i do well. sleep so <laughs> <laughs> so we we'll do close the eyes <laughs> so what does spirituality mean in the african um, continent that's religion it's yeah it's religion I think, but also yeah. it doesn't have to be you're right as well i think and again, colonial structures are, are responsible for this. I think as Africans in general, and I say this expecting the wrath of the elderly community, separating spirituality and religion is not something we do well. We've kind of put them together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just in the church where the spirit is and nothing at all. Yeah. So being in touch with your spirit or your inner self or your sense of self is now intertwined with religion. For better or for worse, it's just what it is, okay. right? Um, I grew up in a church. You know, I've been in church. I was baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I think I've been Catholic. I've been Pentecostal. I've been something else. Um, I've experienced that spectrum yeah, of yeah, churches. Yeah. And church is a big thing of being African. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a colonial structure, you know, whether we agree or not. The, the, the missionaries brought that to Africa. Yeah. We were something mm-hmm. else before. We're something else now. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
my connection to spirituality would have to have always been praying and reading the Bible. And sometimes it depresses you more than it does motivate you. But um, that's where spiritually we have found ourselves to be. And the journey of separating that from religion not because I want to leave religion behind, because I just want to be to know who I am mm. outside of a structure that was designed yeah. for me to understand who I am is taking longer than it should. Yeah. So I find stillness mm. in in nature as well. So I know we spoke about this previously. Let's mm. go on this hiking thing mm. and uh, <laughs> go uh, receive the energy from, from Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. But... Moving on, and I guess as we close up this discussion, I'd love to find out what's next for Kevin Kapecki. I guess in the past few years, you were lost. You had you weren't sure mm. of the direction that you could go, and now the world is so big, it's so yeah. open, oh, and you've got this massive. power and the community mm. to back you and all these references, mm. right? Mm. Where do you want to go? Well, I acknowledge the power part, and it's one that's taking some time. But when you have influence and you're able to make a phone call and make things happen, you know that you have some level of power. And you've got a job that pays well. That's privilege as well. So power and privilege are things that even in my state right now, I acknowledge that I have. And I'm happy to use them to the best that I can. Mm -hmm. I want to continue learning. I want to go back to school. Um, I want to... Whatever I study, I don't even know. I want to continue bettering my relationships with my mentors. I've got a very good group of people that I can reach out to for support. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing great work with the Africa's Got Talent in our African community. That's a big part of my um, of my sense of community, building the capacity of those young people. We just won an award at the Youth Impact Award at the Brim Bank Awards a Beautiful. couple of weeks ago. Um, and... Gosh, I, I want to explore that word capacity building as much mm. as I can, whatever that means. I want mm. to explore want helping other young migrant people find work looks like and find purpose in society. Mm. The, you know, when we started Africa's Got Talent, um, the, the young people, I, I shouldn't say we, I wasn't a part of the team that I inherited this yeah. project. Um, the young people that did Africa's Got Talent back then um, found that young African Australian individuals did not have a sense of com- they, didn't, they didn't feel like part of the team mm. they didn't feel like part of this community so this idea was then grown to put on a talent show um, and highlight the best of African culture whether it's through music arts you know acting uh, drama whatever that looks like food etc and then not only empower our community but educate the rest of the community as to what our superpower is mm-hmm. and that stuck with me that's why i joined that team as a director um on the um for africa's got talent through the africa Day australia organization because building capacity of those young people to feel confident to stand on stage and sing mm-hmm. their national anthem to dance to play to cook food to be in videos it means a lot to them it might not have meant a lot to marie to give me that reference all those years ago mm-hmm. might not have meant a lot to my CEO to give me a reference for me to do a course but it meant a lot to me mm-hmm. yeah. so whilst it might seem minute to me that I'm doing I'm part of this team that helps young people in the arts find their space in community I know it means a lot to them so that's a big part of what I want to continue building exploring what the you know building capacity really looks like um, within a community and embedding that in equity frameworks ensuring that we're not setting up these young people to fail mm-hmm. we have a lot of them that are growing up here we have a lot of them that don't 
and participating in society mm. there's been forced rhetoric around african gangs etc etc mm, yeah. um racial vilification of young african australian males in particular um and that narrative needs to shift and i'm someone that's very tries to be very localized in what i do mm, the bigger beautiful. picture is one thing but i'm happy to help one person and just that one person can help someone else i don't i i'm i'm overwhelmed by the idea of 50,000 Zimbabweans living in this state. I'm like, oh, that's too many. <laughs> it's fine to do in this country, sorry. Yeah. I just want to help the couple that I help. Mm. When I ran for council, um, mm. I, I lost. Um, <laughs> that's not a surprise. Um, um, when I ran for council, I was happy to have lost. But that journey was built from a young man, a young African man having approached me to talk about wanting to play football professionally. Mm. And I realized there's no framework that I can support him from. Yeah. We've got no one that we know that can provide him the support. We've got no way to go to ask for support and, and assistance. What could I possibly do in my position as a young person in Hume City Council to help this young man to play sport the way that he wants to? Mm. Let's run for council. That's how that came up. So I'd like to spend my next few years exploring what capacity building looks like. That's incredible. Wow. It's beautiful. Yeah. And one of the things that us at Okiru have been wanting to do, and it's similar, and we came up with the tagline, help people become masters of their own universe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And capacity building is exactly the same as that, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's about leaving impact for just one person because one person is that difference yeah. as well. So look, I'm very happy and honored that we're sharing the same path and we're walking together as well in, in all the work that we do. And I guess thank you for coming on and <clears throat> sharing your story as well. But before we wrap up, we like to end our podcast with three questions and I'll let Jasper <laughs> take on this. Okay. You ready? What are you grateful for? I'm grateful for help. I have a lot of help, I have a lot of support, and I'm very, very, very grateful for everything that's been provided for me. Um, it takes time, effort, patience, learning, kindness on people's mm. part to, again, be here and share this with new audiences. This has helped. This, I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for all the help. What have you realized? I've realized that it's very easy to make space at a table for someone else to join as well. Mm. If the table has eight chairs, that's not because it has it, that's what we can see. You can always yeah. scooch over. I'm someone that firmly wants to drag everyone along yeah. with me. For better or for worse, if I'm on a forum, we're doing it together. Mm -hmm. I'll just scooch over and make space for you to join over yeah. here. So the the old saying that, you know, if you're not on if you're not at the if you're not at the table, you're on the menu is very true so i try not to be on the menu i want to be in the chair deciding what's on the menu okay. um, as opposed to being on the menu myself and being talked about without me being present mm -hmm. i'm the kind of person who if there's no space at the table i'll bring a folding chair and i'll make myself comfortable by the side and, and, <laughs> and also listen and um and contribute my two yeah. cents so the table analogy if there's space make space for someone else if there's no space, bring your folding chair. And if you're not on, if you're not on the chair, you're on the menu. So you have to decide. And yeah. that's the danger zone sometimes. And the learning zone, balancing that spectrum is very important. So wow, mm. that's beautiful. Before we move on to the next yeah. question, what mm -hmm. do you mean by if you're not at the table, you're mm -hmm. on the menu? Can you dive deeper into that? Well, we have a lot of situations, whether it's been government, local, state, federal, way 
communities are talked about, but we're not on the table. Mm-hmm. We're not at the table. Yeah. We're usually on the menu. We're being talked about as what can we do to help the hard to reach communities? What can we help to? What can we do yeah. to help the? You know, um, to help the new and emerging. I'm like, gosh, we've been new and emerging. It's been twelve years. I'm, I've emerged. I'm here. I, I cannot still be new and emerging. And you talk about hard to reach. <clears throat> we have um, the instances not an incident, the happenstance that happened with COVID and the locking down of towers in North Melbourne. Mm-hmm. How is that hard to reach? It's in North Melbourne. That's the closest we can get to Spring Street where Government House is. So it's not hard to reach. You're just not reaching them. They're hardly reached, as yeah. some people always teach me as well. So yeah. I feel that if we aren't at the table also advocating for these issues, we're being talked about on the menu yeah. like you would in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. That's why you, they either make space for you and if they don't, bring your own folding chair. Mm. I love it. Yeah. It's crazy. I've never heard that before. <laughs> Last question. What is the question you ask yourself? Hmm. Oh, I know the question. <laughs> I, I definitely knew the question. I knew, I know the question I asked myself as soon as you said it. I'm just trying to think if that's enough. Um, the question is, am I doing enough? The answer is no. Um, but I still ask myself then to yeah. see what, what more I can do, what, what I can do to try harder mm. in most instances. It can be as simple as sharing something on LinkedIn, yeah. um, something as simple as if a job location opens up, sharing that through my community network. I, I really do get a kick out of making sure an organization is filled with Kevin soldiers, uh, making sure that everyone <laughs> I know is employed somewhere. So yeah. if job comes up, I share, hey, apply, how are you going? Apply for this job. If something, you know, an opportunity to be on a board or a panel, I, I shared that too. I'm like, I'll, I'll be your reference. Just tell them you know me. Just go, go, go. Wow. And it, it's had one if I remember someone who, as soon as they said they knew Kevin, like yeah. the tone changed. Not that I'm a superhero in that instance, <laughs> but in that, in that space, I was someone that was known yeah. well enough to then help the other young person get that position that they needed yeah. to get. So... I ask myself if I do enough. The answer is still no. I can still keep pushing and moving the dial along and squeezing myself into tables that I don't yeah. belong. But as I said, I wish I'd moved to Australia much later and ridden the coaches of other people. But here we are on the front lines. <laughs> I shouldn't use that loose <laughs> thing. But here we are really on the having these discussions about first in family, first in community, first to be whatever, whatever. We don't even have a um, member of parliament in the lower house in the federal um, who mm. was elected, who's mm. been elected before. We had one that was, um, he, she got elected because someone someone defected or passed away, I forget, but mm. circumstances. But we just don't really have much visibility. Yeah. So I, sh- I should ask myself, are we doing enough um, to build visibility for those that come after us? Because it doesn't end with us. There's more that are coming, generations that are behind mm. us. Yeah. And what can I do to move the dial more and continue pushing and pushing and pushing until we push hard enough for mm. there to be change, good, yeah. equitable structures that are good for community? Amazing. Mm. Is there anything else? Like, I want to, last question. For those who were in our position, mm. if they're experiencing that today, like mm. sleeping in bed, not getting up, is there anything you'd share advice to them? Mm-hmm. Honestly, at the risk of having an influx of messages, do reach out. Um, I really, really cannot recommend enough that I, I even have a friend who suffers from mm. anxiety and depression. And I know that it's easier said than done. Reach out, ask for help, wake up. It took my mom 
pouring cold water on me in the morning just to get me to wake up during that time. And I was like, that's fine. I wanted that experience yeah. to be forced because I, I, I just wasn't waking up. And my sleeping pattern changed completely. I was in bed all the time um, and I things weren't working well. So you want someone to throw water on you, you know, ask for help. We'll be there to do that. I'll call, I will message, find you that high performing group of friends yeah. who are able to help drive you and push you to do things you would like to do more of. Go outside, connect with nature, you know, go for a walk and just forget the troubles of the world. There was a time, you know, I say this knowing full well the consequences where I had like five fines, a couple speeding fines, a traffic light fine, parking fines, all piled up and I was stressed. I'm like, oh, just just think and think logically. Yeah. What can you do here? A payment plan, pay them one at a time, you know, um, ask for assistance, put one in your brother's name. <laughs> Cut that part out, you know, but um, there is there is a way to handle stress yeah. and emotions that are overwhelming you. It's asking for help. It's, you know, um, telling people around you that, hey, I'm struggling and I, I, I could use assistance here. It is for me through the arts component of the African community, through the Zimbabwean community, through building capacity of others, through sport and um, through my mom putting water on me. So ask for assistance. Yeah. I'm very, very big on if you're struggling financially, emotionally with work-wise and you can't wake up and it's really gotten you, we only have the one life. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I know there's cultures that say we've got more than one, but I I only know of this one until I get to that next stage. I want to know, but I, I'm, I'm living this one now. Yeah. I'm a quarter way through, God willing. I'd like my next three quarters to be my best and most high-performing ones. And it yeah. takes me pushing the dial where I am now I to see. get there. Amazing. Mm -hmm. So where can people find you? Oh, I didn't prepare this part. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I do have an Instagram, which is official Kev underscore K. So official the word Kev underscore K. Uh -huh. And... I guess my stories can be thought provoking sometimes, you know, between the, 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 the ridiculous of the ridiculousness of my, of my life, generally watching movies. Um, Instagram is great. Just Kevin Kapeki. Instagram is pretty good. We, we have good conversations. We share great things there. I've recently started Twitter. I think it's official Kev underscore K as well. But yeah, I, I think I'm trying to work out what I, what I, what platform that I can have mm. where I can begin having these conversations with yeah. people. I get scared of Instagram sometimes or LinkedIn because I'm like, oh, it's professional. I want to say things that will rattle the boat. I want to, you know, just saying, proud to announce, I've joined a board. Proud to announce, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm employed now. Yeah. So, but those are the three that I have yeah. at the moment. I've got Facebook, but eh. I think we're moving past that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're Insta generation. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. It was incredible to meet Kevin and we look forward to following your journey. Thank you so much. This has been great. Thanks for making the space. Um, it's yeah. a pleasure. Thank you. Well, we hope you found value in this podcast. Always stay safe. Always take care and always get up. Peace. Okay. Oh,